Good morning, and welcome to Simply Sports. It's Wednesday, February 7th. On today's show, Kyrie Irving speaks on his return to Brooklyn, and players take a 4-2 lead in MLB arbitration cases. Plus, Bucks Middleton sprains ankle and is ruled out against the Suns. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Sports. We start off with a look at Kyrie Irving, who, after playing his first game in Brooklyn since being traded a year ago, has opened up about his motivation for asking the Nets to trade him. He cited the need for personal peace of mind and a conducive environment to thrive as his primary reasons. Here to delve deeper into this is our correspondent, Michael. Can you tell us more about Irving's sentiments post his game in Brooklyn? Certainly, David. Irving, after leading the Dallas Mavericks to a 119-107 victory over the Nets, spoke about his decision to leave Brooklyn. He mentioned that certain necessary conversations were not had before the trade deadline, and he felt it was time for him to move to a place where he could thrive without worrying about behind-the-scenes talk or media chatter. He also mentioned learning a lot of lessons during his time in Brooklyn and expressed his desire to move forward. It's interesting to note that Irving's trade from Brooklyn to Dallas happened just a few days before the Nets sent Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns. How has this affected the Nets' performance? The Nets have certainly felt the impact of these trades. They've lost 15 of their past 20 games, a stark reminder of how much things have changed in Brooklyn. The promise of Irving and Durant's partnership, which began before the 2019-20 season, has not quite lived up to expectations. The Nets won only a single playoff series in Irving and Durant's three and a half years with the franchise. Irving mentioned some what-if scenarios during his post-game interview. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, Irving reflected on some pivotal moments that could have potentially altered the course of his career with the Nets. He questioned whether he would have asked for a trade if he hadn't gotten injured versus the Bucks, or if Durant's foot hadn't been on the three-point line. He also pondered on the impact if James Harden hadn't asked for a trade. He expressed hope that after this night, all the woulda, coulda, shoulda scenarios can be put to rest. How did Irving perform in his first game back in Brooklyn? Irving put on quite a show, scoring 36 points and leading the Mavericks to victory. He and Luka Doncic, playing in just their 24th game together this season, helped Dallas to an 18-point lead at halftime. When Brooklyn cut the deficit to six with just under five minutes to go, Irving hit back-to-back three-pointers to secure the win. And how was Irving's return received by the Nets and their fans? There was no fanfare for Irving's return. When Irving was introduced, the video board showed a simple welcome back message for him and former Nets Seth Curry and Markeith Morris. During the game, Irving was met with some boos whenever he had the ball, followed by cheers from the contingent of Mavericks fans in attendance whenever he scored. Irving's tenure with the Nets was quite eventful. Can you shed some light on that? Indeed, Irving's time with the Nets was marked by several notable incidents. He took multiple leaves of absence during the 2020-21 season, missed most of the 2021-22 season due to his refusal to get the COVID-19 vaccine, and was suspended in November 2022 
after promoting an anti-Semitic film on social media. Despite these controversies, Irving acknowledged that he made some mistakes during his time with the Nets and expressed his commitment to learning and moving forward. Thanks for those insights, Michael. Now, let's switch gears to another sports story. In a surprising turn of events, players swept five salary arbitration decisions against major league teams on Tuesday. Among those awaiting a decision is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., whose hearing against Toronto will set a record regardless of the outcome. Here to delve deeper into this is Celeste, a correspondent for Simply Sports. Can you tell us more about these arbitration cases? Certainly, David. Baltimore outfielder Austin Hayes and pitcher Jacob Webb, Los Angeles Angels outfielder Taylor Ward, Houston utility man Mauricio Dubin, and New York Mets reliever Phil Bickford all won their cases. This unusual sweep gives the players a 5-2 advantage, with 11 cases still pending. And what about Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s case? How significant is it? Guerrero's case is indeed significant. He asked for $19.9 million, while the Blue Jays offered $18.5 million. Regardless of the outcome, this will set a new record, surpassing the $14 million awarded to Seattle outfielder Teoscar Hernandez last year. What were the outcomes for the other players? Austin Hayes was awarded the $6.3 million he asked for over the Orioles' proposed $5.85 million. Jacob Webb will receive $1 million instead of the team's $925,000 offer. Taylor Ward had asked for $4.8 million compared to the team's offer of $4.3 million and won his case. Mauricio Dubon won his case for $3.5 million over the team's offer of $3 million. And finally, Phil Bickford got the $900,000 he requested rather than the $815,000 the Mets proposed. What does this mean for the teams and the players involved? These decisions can have significant implications. For the players, it's a validation of their value and contribution to the team. For the teams, it's a financial commitment that they need to factor into their budget. It also sets a precedent for future salary negotiations and arbitration cases. And what about the cases that are still pending? There are still 11 cases pending, and the outcomes of these could further tip the balance in favor of the players or level the playing field for the teams. It's certainly something to watch out for in the coming days. Indeed, it will be interesting to see how these cases unfold. Thanks for the insights, Celeste. Speaking of unfolding events, let's turn our attention to a recent NBA game where three-time All-Star Chris Middleton of the Milwaukee Bucks sprained his left ankle during the first quarter of their match against the Phoenix Suns. The injury ruled him out for the rest of the game, which the Bucks lost 114-106. to Bella, our correspondent for Simply Sports, is here to discuss this further. Can you tell us more about the incident? Certainly, David. Middleton twisted his ankle when he landed on Suns forward Kevin Durant's foot after attempting a jumper. Durant was called for a foul, which was later upgraded to a flagrant foul one after officials determined that he didn't provide Middleton with enough space to land. Middleton managed to stay in the game to shoot his free throws, but he was visibly limping and eventually had to return to the locker room. That sounds like a painful incident. What's the prognosis for Middleton's injury? Bucks head coach Doc Rivers confirmed that x-rays on Middleton's ankle were negative. However, the full extent of the injury and how long it will keep Middleton out of play is yet to be determined. The Bucks were already missing their star point guard, Damian Lillard, 
due to a left ankle sprain. How might Middleton's injury impact the team's performance? Middleton's injury could indeed be a significant blow to the Bucks. He's been averaging 15 points, 5.1 assists, and 4.3 rebounds this season. His absence, coupled with Lillard's, could put additional pressure on the rest of the team. Thanks for the insights, Bella. Now, shifting gears to hockey, in a thrilling match last night, the Vegas Golden Knights put an end to the Edmonton Oilers' 16-game winning streak with a 3-1 victory. The Oilers were looking to tie the 1992-93 Pittsburgh Penguins for the longest NHL win streak. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent James. Can you walk us through the game? Certainly, David. The game was tied 1-1 one -one after two periods, but Chandler Stevenson of the Golden Knights scored the go-ahead goal less than two minutes into the third period. From there, Adin Hill, who leads the NHL in goals against average and save percentage, made some spectacular saves to keep the Oilers at bay. It sounds like Hill had a significant role in this victory. Can you tell us more about his performance? Absolutely. Hill was instrumental in this win. He stopped 30 shots, including a backdoor one-timer from Leon Dreisaitl late in the third period. His performance kept the Oilers from scoring, and the crowd energized until the final horn. And how did the Oilers react to the end of their winning streak? Edmonton captain Connor McDavid, who scored in the loss, said they played a similar type of game as they had throughout the streak, but just couldn't find a way to win. He credited Hill's performance as a key factor. Edmonton coach Chris Knoblauk also pointed to missed opportunities as a turning point in the game. What does this mean for the Oilers moving forward? Despite the end of their winning streak, the Oilers have shown significant improvement this season. They started the season with a 3-T9-1 record, but have since improved to 29-16-1. They have an NHL-best 26-7-0 record since Chris Noblauk's first game as bench boss on November 13th. McDavid emphasized the need to move on and play good hockey down the stretch. And what about the Golden Knights? How did they react to their victory? The Golden Knights were understandably thrilled with their victory. Hill described the atmosphere as feeling like a playoff game, with the fans fully engaged. Nick Roy and William Carlson also scored for the Golden Knights, with Carlson's empty net goal in the final seconds sealing the victory. Thanks for the insights, James. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Sports. We'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs>